adventurers and welcome to my little adventure. My name is Sindara Oyekola and today I'm going to be talking about Butter Honey Pig Bread by Francesca Equiasi with Farida Bellosagi. Hi Farida. Hi Cindy. Hi listeners. How are you? I hope you've subscribed. Thank you. Please, you need to threaten them and beat some people. See guys, this this is support, support, support this podcast. Subscribe, share, you know what to do. Everything. <laughs> let us find you exactly you? i'm good oh i'm 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 actually good i had yeah. a spa weekend i'm feeling relaxed rejuvenated ready for spring <laughs> i'm so excited that spring is almost here it's like 70 degrees outside fahrenheit which is just amazing to me i'm so glad you said fahrenheit because some people will now be acting confused <laughs> but yeah the weather is actually nice outside no gloves super sunny too so like it's just like perfect it is. It's absolutely perfect. And then you watched Batman as well. Hmm. What did you think? That movie was too long. In 2022, please. No movie should be three hours, hours long. Why? What, what, what is my crime? <laughs> so cinematography was great, but the dialogue was on par with a Nigerian movie. Like... Basically, feeding us the guys. If you want three hours, I think you should do it in your house. It's too long. I definitely definitely agree. It was kind of like how I felt about King of Boys as well. Like, it was, I just, Freda, yeah, 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 about to be like, no, I'm actually agreeing with you because to be honest, I actually, God, I can't believe I'm exposing myself. I've never watched all of King of Boys before. Wait, really? I only watched the last hour. I mean, to be, I like, you know, <laughs> honestly, like, I don't even blame you. Like, when I watched King of Boys, I watched, like, the first half, went to bed, yeah. and I was like, mm. I'll finish this tomorrow, because, like, I was like, this is too much for me, <laughs> so I didn't even blame you at all. I think that's why I was happy that the second part of it was, like, a, a limited it's series, true. and yeah. they broke it out. I think that worked better for me, so I was able to watch all of that, but... Yeah, I talk about King of Boys a more. I, I, I can't watch. No. Nope. <laughs> Just one hour. So, if you like DC <laughs> movies, I guess, I, maybe you like this one. This is really the first DC movie that I've watched, I think, maybe ever. And so, like, I definitely expected, like, the darker themes. Mm-hmm. But I was just kind of like, this man did not smile one time. And I think maybe that's what makes me a proud Marvel girl because yes, things can be bad, but I need something to root yes, for. And for nice. I just think that you know, if you're going to introduce somebody to DC movies, like please start with the Dark Knight trilogy. That was such a stronger. Mm. It was it was it was an experience. Like I I rewatched the trilogy like every two years because oh, wow. of how much I enjoyed it. Even though I'm more of a Marvel um, girl, so this one. I'm just going to pretend like mm-hmm. it's not about my movie. <laughs> yeah, I just... If you watch it, let us know what you think. Um, especially if you don't necessarily like DC movies. Because I feel like we're the people that will be more objective about mm-hmm. it. Um, but yeah, um, so first of all, like as we get into this book, I love this um, Butter Honey Pig Bread a lot. Um, I'm just going to make a confession up front that... I've been trying to get Farida to do this episode with me since like November of last year, and yeah. I have postponed and postponed and postponed, and I'm very grateful that 
she has given me the time of day because I knew that I annoyed her. And then in like January, we recorded an episode. And did you just say we did? <laughs> and so here it we was. Are. Hoping it that was the second time is the charm. I was like, I mean, we, bet, we like each other enough that it's okay. We'll just be here just seeing, but like, still, it was kind of sad. Um, I agree. <laughs> but, but I definitely like love this book enough that I was like, I can't not do an episode on it. I think it was a really great experience for me. Uh, and like, immediately I finished reading it, I texted her, um, Freda, and I was like, Freda, you need to read this book. And then when she read it, she was like, yeah, I loved it. But I'll let her talk about why she liked the book. Okay, so... I was so happy that, again, this is why you guys should subscribe to this podcast because Cindy has amazing recommendations. So she recommended it to me. I remember I had a layover and I was like, okay, let me use that time to read this book. And I was so en- engulfed into this fun world with the music, the food, the the character, like their their journey and also the way, you know, the, the book is framed, which Cindy mm-hmm. talk more about. Um, but it was so fun. I mean, it was it was fun enough for me to. I think I've read this book at this point now is three times I've read it over yeah. a year and a half, which I don't normally reread books um, that quickly. But it really, really was good and worth like, rec- like yeah, that's great. It's, it's worth all the hype. Like generally, books that are hyped up, I'm just kind of like, okay, you need to take it down like a notch. But this book. You just need to experience it to understand what we're talking about. Um, overall, the book follows three women, Kamburina Chi, and then her two daughters, Tai and Kendi, as they navigate, you know, growing up, learning about each other, finding their way back to each other after a particularly traumatic experience causes them to, you know, separate and move to different parts of the world. And it's just really good reading a kind of redemption story and then also just seeing how like family regardless of what happens just like I mean if you're in the right family or in a good family like they always gravitate back towards each other knowing that each person has their best interests at heart um so the person I want to talk about Farida one of the things that my therapist always said which I find interesting is your feelings and thoughts are connected but they're not necessarily reality Right. Mm-hmm. And I think in this book, like we see the stories that are being told in different um, through different lenses. So we see stories through like Cambrina Chi's lens and then through Thai's sometimes and then Kennedy's as well. And I think that that gives you more of a sense of like how people, different people can experience the same event and react so differently um, to it so like what do you think about that as we're reading the book I actually even more now just based on friendship like the way some of my friendships have changed mm-hmm. I completely understood it more you know when they say that there are two sides of the story uh, there are two sides to a story and the third side which is the truth but truth is relative because people process things differently right. and um, the way they understand a situation the way they handle, the way they cope, it, it, it's all down to how they grew up and, you know, the way they see life. And we saw so much of that where eventually you, you just have to extend grace to all of these people because they were doing what they thought was best at the yeah. time. Um, of course, there are some things that need to be, 
you know, they, they weren't cleared up. So I couldn't really understand um, the motivation. But mm. at the same time, like, they really are just humans trying to do the best that they can. And in this setting, which I think is kind of like our parents' generation, yeah. there was no therapy. Who are you going to talk to about this person is doing this? To, you know, we come from a culture of respect. Like, this is a Nigerian mm. family. Everything is about respect and don't tell anybody your family business. So when you're exactly. upset with each other, you, you don't really know how, you don't have the tools to, to handle it. that conversation, to navigate it and just clear things up. So I definitely saw myself in in um, in, 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 in Thai. I think I, at least my younger self, I would mm. hold back and not say anything for a while and then kind of maybe blow up later, right. which is not ideal. So yeah. It's just one way of coping with things. And I think... Mm-hmm. Like, so in the book, right, so Kende feels abandoned by Cambrina uh, and Tai in what was, like, yeah. her darkest time. Um, and then Tai, at the same time, like, yes, she experienced or saw those events that Kende was going through, but it wasn't because she wasn't um, sensitive to her sister's needs. It was just because she was a scared 11-year-old child that didn't really know what to do, didn't know how to navigate it, and, like you said, didn't have the tools to to handle that and then Cambrina on the other hand like she did Mm. what she knew best to do which was like to fight for the um fight for her children right but then like that translated differently for from what Kendi was expecting of her so that for me was just kind of like one of the things that we I learned in grad school was to always assume positive intent and it's a really hard thing to do because like you're like for me at least the first thing I'm thinking about is like how I'm like how I'm perceiving somebody else's reaction as opposed to thinking like maybe this person just doesn't know what you expect of them. I know, but then it it, it gets harder as you grow older because or maybe it gets easier. I think now it's getting easier for me to assume mm-hmm. positive intent because I understand myself, so I understand people more. But Around the time that this happened, this this month, this main thing, which should we talk about what it was? Well, they so were teenagers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, <laughs> right. So, so Ty unfortunately was sexually assaulted. Which, Candy. sorry, Candy was um, a sexually assaulted. Um, and the book, you know, I think Cindy and I have gone back and forth on it. I have finally accepted it happened multiple times. At first, I thought it was one time, which doesn't make it okay, regardless. However, um, she was a teenager. She was really, really young. Mm-hmm. That your hormones, how you're even trying to process and identify what you're feeling is just tough um, yeah. overall. So that definitely added, you know, it just made the situation even more challenging. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And I think, so one of the things that I liked about the book is I think other books try to, you know, draw out the suspense for as long as possible, where, like, you're literally like, what's this thing that this family is going through that nobody's talking about? And then you don't find out until page 200. But, like, on page 68, we find out that the reason that their family has kind of fallen apart and why Kende and Tai have essentially fallen out is because Kende, like you said, was sexually assaulted multiple times and felt mm-hmm. that, like, as her twin, her twin Tayu should have sensed her pain yeah. and done something about it. 
right and so for me i like that i found out early on but then i was also like it's so it's just tough first of all sexual assault like in itself having that conversation as an adult is tough mm-hmm. not talk about like expecting a child to then like have the words to have that conversation absolutely and another thing that you know happened with when their twin dynamic was candy um was like Ty was slimmer so she could eat whatever she wanted whereas candy they told her one moment on your lips like always on candy's like hips or something like that which oh my god that's just brutal and also yeah. Ty had a bond with her dad um so candy i guess always felt like a shadow and then now it's like now this thing is happening to me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that just adds to it but you know as an as an adult you can express your your thoughts on that clearly but as a child, you just know I'm not treat- being treated fairly, but mm. how do I articulate that this isn't okay? So when you put all of that together, there's just so much understanding, which I really like the fact that the author like laid out those other things so you could understand how they got to that point and how they handled things the way that they did. Yeah, and like to your point around like how Kangi was treated differently, especially when I think when you have siblings, like they're never going to be treated the same, right? But then especially yeah. when you have twins, mm. like it's very obvious if one person is being treated differently and they can pinpoint it more because like this is my person who is supposed to be exactly like me, but like we're not being treated the same. So that was that was really tough to to read because I think like her parents were probably weren't trying to be mean. Exactly. Like, they were just like you said, they were doing as they knew best to do. Best. And yeah and sometimes we like that's why i'm just like constantly praying for like our gen our generation and for my people that as we're being more aware of you know parenting tips and tricks that we're picking up the best ones that will continue making sure that going into the future our kids are being built up rather than like having to deal with generational problem amen oh i pray the same i pray the same so for one of the things that you brought up is like how you know food is tackled in the book and one of the things that i really enjoyed about this book compared to others is the way recipes are used not just like laying out what's happening but like infusing that into like the storytelling of the book so like um i think there was a part in the beginning of the book where um tai is making um lunch for Kendi and her husband as they're coming to Lagos and they're like how do you make food for um a sister that you haven't seen in however long and they're like you put a batch of this and then you think about this and for me like I just really like that because I think one other thing that I've seen in books that I've read is how like people explain jollof rice and I'm just like nobody explains pizza if you don't know what pizza is like you google it because like people take it for granted that everybody knows what pizza is right and i think that we should get to that point where it's taken for granted like for granted this is part of culture as opposed to like jollof rice being a tomato pasty rice dish or whatever which is just like awkward to write out so what do you think about like how food was talked about and written about in the book Honestly, Cindy, I forgot about that part, but the way you said it, I I absolutely love it. It's true. When we were growing up and reading these English American books, nobody explained pizza the way pizza is or scones. It was up to us to imagine it, to, you know, whenever we finally had the internet, Google it 
Yeah. And I think it should be that same approach. The setting is clear. This is a Nigerian story. So if you're curious about this food, go on YouTube. And it made me curious about setting things. I don't normally mm-hmm. like, I think there was this one that had like fish, like jollof rice with like fish or something. And I don't normally like fish, but the way it was described was so fun. And I was like, I want to do that. Also, mm-hmm. she made gay bread. I'm actually, I keep saying I will, but I know that one day I will actually try it because yeah. I love gay bread. But again, the way it was infused in the story, um, it, it brought some comedic moments. I think there was this part where um, <laughs> they were describing one of Katie's like relationships. She was dating someone. And they were talking about how he made beets with sausage and drink kombucha, mm. which altogether doesn't sound really appetizing. It's not appetizing <laughs> at all. But, I was like, mm. <laughs> but it brought a lighthearted moment, and also it helped me remember that scene and also their relationship. It just was such a good way to. What I'll try to say is, with movies, you have visual cues or you have like right. music to guide you through certain milestones. Mm. These recipes gave us like those those milestones milestones of the story so excellently interwoven that was fun yeah and i think that this goes back to like the title of the book which is like butter honey pig bread and it's just very like is it for me was when i read i was like this is random but okay yeah and so like there are four chapters in the book named after each of those um food ingredients um and so as i was thinking through like why would she why would the author choose this name for the book? You know, like in the beginning of the book, Tai is learning to cook with butter. And so she makes like this decadent um, chocolate cake um, and butter is used as a signifier of wealth. Like when they move to, in, um, when they move houses in Lagos and they can now afford butter instead of like margarine, it's like a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. And then with like honey is, Tai learning about bees from her dad, what that relationship is like and how that differs from the relationship that Kennedy had with their dad. Um, but then Pig is then like Tai and Kennedy having different relationships with uh, people and then learning how to cook with pork, which I didn't really like pork, so I was kind of like, okay, that's, I guess people <laughs> like what they like. Um, and then bread, like to what you said, can't, like bread is not that easy to make. And so Tai is learning yeah. different ways of making bread. And so you're seeing the characters grow, shape, uh, change, and like evolve through the different recipes or um, that are being used and the different ingredients. So like, this is just so like, writing just makes me so happy. Cause I, just, I just want to know how people come up with the things that they write. Just, yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And especially when you're reading a book but then you feel like you're learning something without going to school yeah. that is that's pretty cool yeah because yeah, i felt like in reading the book you could then decide oh i'm going to try this recipe out just by looking yeah. at what um Taiyu was doing um as well which is just a testament to how great like francesca's writing really is um so there are many things that come up in the book right but one of them is mental illness question mark question mark because we never actually have a real answer for that so you have cambrina chi the twins mother who like says that she is or she doesn't really say but like she is an obanje um and you know she has these sisters that she talks to and who keep calling her back to like from the world of the living to their world because like she has to stay with her kin but then she 
essentially pushes that side of herself aside and decides to stay in the living world to take care of her daughters and to have that relationship with her husband. So what did you think of Kamrinachi as a character? But then also like, how do you, how, what did you think about the portrayal of like, does she have a mental illness versus like, is she really a Mubanji? I, yeah, I could see where I could see where Cindy was going with this one. So mental mental illness was not something that I really knew about growing up. So I I did believe in Obanje even though I didn't know anyone. As I get older, though, my opinion was that Cambrianachi was bipolar, mm-hmm. from my limited understanding. And again, talking about. Her mom was someone who had had multiple miscarriages and also had lost not just the, you know, those, not just miscarriages, but also lost some children uh, while Mm -hmm. they were toddlers. And so, as Francesca said, she had nothing left to give because she was worried that this child wasn't going to stay. Um, So now there's a feeling of isolation. What you're going through, we're not even going to try and figure it out medically. Mm -hmm. You're just automatically... You know, and for for people, you want to have something you can hold on to to define your identity. This is this this was interesting. I think for the sake of the story, I accepted her as an Obanji because Mm -hmm. it added an interesting element of straddling different worlds. I my personal belief is that kids actually, I'm 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 a religious or spiritual person. A part of me believes that we actually do choose which parents that we have. Yeah. Yes, a part of me, a part of me thinks so. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think so. So it's um, I'm I'm stuck with it. Sometimes, for the sake of the book, I I think Oranji was a good reference point. However, I do think that she was bipolar. I mean, even especially after she lost her husband, and then mm-hmm. that situation in the in the kitchen with the children, right. I I just um. How else can I explain it if it's not if it's not that? What, I mean, what, I, what do you think? So <laughs> I, I struggled with this because on the one hand, like when she was put on medication, mm-hmm. she stopped hearing those voices, right? Yeah. And yeah. that may that may just be like the fact that she was deadening a part of herself. Mm-hmm. That might be what that might be what it is because they do uh, do that, right? Exactly. And so I was just kind of like, whatever. I think I've gone to a point where I'm no longer trying to see black or white or trying to see like this is wrong and, and this is right all the time because sometimes like it can be both. It can be neither. And like if you don't have, and I appreciated the ambiguity with which um, the author writes in the book because like it's never clear. Like she never says one over the other. And so it's left to your interpretation and yeah. your belief system to then decide where on like whether you you thought Cambridge actually had a mental illness or whether she had an obanji. But and then but then I also think that like the answer to that question is irrelevant. That is true. To, like everything else that happens in the book because at the end of the day she tries her best. Like she raises her daughters at the best way that she can. She chooses her family over herself, even though they don't understand it or understand her. And so she did what she thought was was best. 
And so I'm just kind of like, I was just, I was rooting for her because I was like, you've gone through so much that maybe you haven't even told your daughters about, which is why they don't understand because if she laid things out for them over all the experiences she had had, the way we understand it, they would probably have given her the benefits of the doubts earlier. About Yeah, but, but again, that, that even makes, that ties into the story and, and the first point you made when we began this podcast about understanding people mm-hmm. we have the we are able to give her the benefit of doubt the grace the understanding the love support because we saw her story we, yeah. we saw her struggles but then for her children they don't know any of that they're just seeing why is my mom different from other moms and mm-hmm. why isn't she there for me and understanding me and we do see some healing towards the end you know so i don't want anyone to think this book was just like struggle struggle yeah, drama drama yeah. no there were there were lots of fun there were lots of fun in there um and there were some conversations that needed to be had that did happen yeah. um yeah. but yeah that just that communication i think we all we all just have to learn how to communicate <laughs> and i think like this is even making me think now like so we're having this conversation about these characters but like even thinking about our own parents where like they're their own people right and mm-hmm. they've been through so much but then we only have the context of knowing them for the last 20, 30, whatever, however many years. And so, like, because we have all, we place all these expectations on them and place them on these pedestals, it's hard for us to sometimes give them the grace to, like, knowing, like, you don't have a parenting manual. Like, life is hard. Like, parents don't always know the right way. Yeah. Uh, not excusing some things that some parents do, obviously. Um, yeah. But then just that level of like understanding that you're never going to know the whole story about why your parents are the way they are. Yeah, no, that's true. And also remember that Cameron actually lost her dad um, early in the book, right? So mm-hmm. she was raised with just her mom, but then she ended up getting sent to her auntie's place. So yeah. life repeated itself in her situation where she ended up becoming a widow. And that was her understanding of how to handle the situation, like isolate to myself and so I'm not causing you more pain. It's, I mean, I think we, I think we've spoken about how much we like this author, but again, she's setting the stage, which I wish Batman did. That was what was missing. <laughs> it's so fresh. It's so fresh. It's so fresh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, so <laughs> Back to the book. <laughs> what well, you kind of um, alluded to this, but one thing that comes up quite a bit in the book is spirituality, right? So it's just casually wrapped into like how the story is told. So you have Cambrinachi as an Ubanji, but then you also have this peri- has this period where Tai is really lonely um, and suddenly starts having these apparitions from Our Lady, who kind of guides her through a tough point in her life. Then there is a scene where she goes to talk to a fortune teller, who tells her, "Oh, you meet a wolf." And then that ends up being the Wolfie, the guy that Kenji was dating at the point. And this is a point in um, twins' lives where they're not talking, but they they need each other. And so in their different ways, they find um, people and apparitions and spiritual things to guide them um, until they can get back to each other. So Farida, how did, like, how did you... Like, what was that experience like for you? Because I was just like, this is just so great. Um, I think, I think, I think it's really great. I do. So 
Okay, as a fan of the podcast, I'm going to ask this question to you, but I, I will say my own thoughts on it. Okay. Do you believe in spiritual life of... I believe that there are some people that they have such a relationship with a higher being that it feels like they have someone talking to them. Mm-hmm. I don't personally experience that. I think when I'm troubled, I usually talk to certain people and then somehow, some way, they share a story that basically answers my question. I feel right. like that's how I receive a message from, from God. Um, but I don't have that. Oh, God spoke to me directly. I've honestly never experienced that before. Um, and then, again, just going to the Obanji and this, and this you know, spiritual attack and all of that. Yeah, I'm growing. I'm growing into it. I'm growing into understanding that this can be a thing. I just love the fact though that they were still connected, even though they weren't talking. At this point, um, it's been years ever since they went to. This is like post secondary school. So Taye goes to the UK. Kanye goes to Canada. Right? Um, they're not talking. It's been years. No yeah. conversation at all. But they're still somehow connected. Their lives are still. So there has to be a higher being that's making them somehow overlap. That's my own personal opinion. But I mean, as a listener, what do you think? <laughs> I mean, I think so. I mean, so in the book, right, there's this part where, like, Kanye gets married and sees Tai like, across the bar. And mm-hmm. Tai also sees Kanye, but, like, they're not in the same space. But, like, that for them, like, even when you're not together, it's just that assurance that the person that you love so much is somewhere else in the world, right? Um, I do think that, like, god talks to people um and i think that like sometimes it may not be talking it might directly might be like to what you said like just putting people in your path that can help you at that point in time or even like the bible and quran like just comforting you because there's sometimes like you're going through something and then you just read something like yeah or just open the bible and it's like bro like i literally just needed this in this moment like and Mm -hmm. it just appears and it's just so comforting and it's so necessary um to just to have and just to experience that and like i think this all goes back to the fact that human beings like we need something to believe in we need to know that like we're supported and like loved and like there's just something out there for us and so yes i hope that answers your question Rita. it actually does thank you <laughs> so we talked about this a little bit before but there's this scene in the book where like somebody is asking either one of the twins they're like um oh you're yoruba and then she's like yes on my on my father's side my mother's side is evil right and i really just love that scene because i mean we don't really have that in nigeria right now like if you ask somebody oh where are you from the, even if like their parents are in an intertribal marriage they're going to say wherever their father is from because there's this erasure of culture that comes when a woman marries marries into in quotes another family it's like all of a sudden you're from where your husband is from and where it's like the, i think that now there's beginning to be a lot more discourse on that um in society because like yes like you can say, oh, you're where, from where your husband is from, but at the same time, you can't run for like political positions, or and you're still not accepted as being from that place. Even if you learn the language, dress the same way, look like people, like people will always be like, oh, like your family is evil. So even though you're married to a Yoruba man, you're still, and they say you're from wherever he's from, you're still evil. So, what do you think about that scene? Um, I mean, so I. I'm, my dad is 
Edo, my mom is from Kara, and then on my mom's side, there's also some Fulani in there. Growing up, I was automatically Edo, even mm. though I can't say anything besides Laloke, which is good morning, and mm. Waye, which is like, how are you, what of that, like very simple things. My Yoruba is way more fluent. I can read Yoruba, I can speak it to get by. Yeah. But there was that erasure, which was quite frustrating because, I mean, I don't know for our listeners, in case you're not familiar, Edo women are considered witches that fly at night. So <laughs> I'm already, <laughs> I'm stereotyped as something without understanding me. But when I say, oh, I'm from Kara, it's like, oh, that means that you're gentle and you're Yoruba girl and you're mm-hmm. something. Now at this point, I say I'm Edo Yoruba. That, yeah. That's how I introduce myself to the world because I am both. And that's actually interesting and very sad. I actually didn't know that. Thanks for educating me. That you can't run for something. You've taken your husband's last name. You've basically embraced, adopted his culture, but you're still not recognized as part of that culture. I, I, I don't, I don't like that. I don't like yeah. that at all. That's that's very very sad to hear. So, I might as well just keep my last name then. <laughs> if that's I'm where like, we're going, <laughs> if that's where, <laughs> if that's where we're going with that, no, I think that 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 can definitely be changed, and I and I I believe it should be changed, and we should. Talk about people who are intertribal way more because what is is beautiful. I love the fact that I, I have different cultures in my in my life. It's it's so cool, for sure. And I think like that conversation needs to be had even more, especially because like most people take their father's last name. So like there's also already not that um, act acceptance or that acknowledgement rather of your mother because like unless you have a name that is from your mother's tribe nobody's going to automatically know that you have another culture um that you're from another culture as well so that's just i don't know i just need i mean for me it's easy both my parents are yoruba and like my dad is part Ghanaian, so like it's just easy to talk about but it's yeah we need to we need to do better guys i'm challenging you to start you know, be more aware if your parents are in, are in an intertribal marriage, be more aware of your mother's culture or your father's culture um, as well. Like if that's one that you don't really, you know, subscribe to um, in quotes. And then as you all get into relationships as well, try to be more aware of those nuances as well. So, Farida, so something else comes up in the book, right? There's this, is is. It's said without being said, the idea of the Nigerian dream, which is like having a husband, whether he's lovely or not, you can be <laughs> the worst person in the world, but you shall marry. Like having kids that have an alternative passport, a house, um, and then having a fast snap back after you've had your children. And that's just mm-hmm. like the, that's just what the Nigerian dream is in the same way that you have the American dream, which is the picket fence, two and a half kids and your dog and your partner. So we'd love to hear more about how you're thinking about that now that I guess by getting to that marrying age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so somebody saw will find me one day. Okay, okay, okay. On a, ser- on a serious note, look guys, considering the state of the world, you know what? I think Nigerian Nigeria women we are we are ahead of we are ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. There's value in having two passports. 
look at what's going on in the world. If one of your countries decides to run mad because of nonsense government, you have another place you can jack back to safely. You also cut down the number of visas that you have to apply for. Because if this passport doesn't cover it, you have that passport to cover it. <laughs> so we have been we have been at the forefront of creating a different world. Like we are honestly like we visionaries. Don't give Nigeria women. We are visionaries. We don't give Nigeria women enough credit. Like I'm going to clap now. <laughs> Shout out to you women. Thank you. Like now is normal. Now it's like, oh yes, we should all do it. But before it was considered you're doing too much. If you think about it, my, my, my parents, I remember my dad had the opportunity to go to um, a university in Texas. He could mm. afford it. Things were different then. And he was like, no, I would rather go to ABU, which is where he met my mom and all of that great stuff. That's but things are different. Area, by the way. Right, um, in the north. So you had this, this woman from Kara State, this man from Edo State. They both went to Kaduna for university. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that world? Like, that was a very, very different time. Mm-hmm. But when it was my turn to go to university, staying in Nigeria was not even, I'm okay, sure. we're privileged. We thank God that I was able to move on. But it wasn't even an option so I could get the best of everything that yeah. they wanted. So I could be on par with them, with what they had when they chose to stay in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. So it, it is the dream. Nobody wants struggle love. Nobody wants harsh or necessary hardship. Life is already hard enough. So yeah. please, I want the passports, you know. I want the the, the, the children healthy, happy, and they are they are citizens of the world. I, mean, I call myself a citizen of the world. If yeah. I suddenly get a French passport, don't ask questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing what I need to do to oh, thrive. Really? So my friend also <laughs> in AB, which is hilarious. Oh um, wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> yep, yep. That was. I mean, like, like to what you said then, like. Nigeria was doing great, right? Schools in Nigeria were amazing. Like, my dad went to UNN for undergrad and then went to ABU for grad school. And, like, traveling out of Nigeria to go to school wasn't the case, right? And I think, I think like, like you said, you want a world in which you're giving your children the best. And at this point, a Nigerian passport for your children is not the best, right? Um, and I just think it's really sad because everywhere else you go if you don't have a like a different passport you're treated like a second class citizen especially if you have a nigerian passport it's just it's really hard to navigate things to have conversations like for example now like in ukraine where like there are all these um you know black and uh brown people that are being discriminated against as they're trying to leave Ukraine and just like honestly speaking, it's because my country is a struggle that people are just like this. Because if I was in my country, like and I knew education was good, I literally would not be here, like struggling to get on a train. <laughs> it just makes me so mad for you that every time. No, honestly, right? And also, we are all growing up separately. So, C- Cindy and I, like, luckily, we went to the same secondary school and then we, but well, we had to branch off into different places whereas if things were different we would have just continued within the same country it would have been easier to grow together now most of our friends are in different parts of the world because they just want a better life right so it's it's not ideal but we're doing what we can to survive so like i said when i get that french passport don't ask questions (laughs) Remember me, your kingdom. So this 
this standing is a good segue into another like quote from the book which i just i love it so much because there's nothing truer so um the book says you know in lagos there is no bubble thick enough to protect you from the truth of your privilege or your disadvantage i'm afraid that you live in lagos right when you're in nigeria so i just love <laughs> love to get what you thought about that that line rings true even more and more today. So I was lucky and blessed enough to be in Nigeria for the latest iteration of Dirty December. And even though I live on the island mm-hmm. and I live, you know, I live in a pretty secure, good place. I, I can't complain. Now that my street has become polluted with noise. You have a mm-hmm. bank, passport office, restaurants, and a school all next to each other. <laughs> They are selling fruits and credits. So they are creating traffic. Then you now have these people that will not let you go inside. Who are you going to greet? Please, I live here. But I don't live there because I'm a visitor. So then I have to call my brother to get me into that. It's so... It's like there was no urban planning. So basically... Like there was no urban planning. Okay, okay. okay. I mean, I don't want to speak too badly of my city. But I, I now had the opportunity to visit Abuja for the first time the same December. And it just felt like a different world. Not to say that there isn't crime everywhere. But in Lagos, everything is stacked on top of each other. There's no demarcation. Mm-hmm. There's, no, there's no security. And to even take it back to the Lekki Tollgate situation, where that was considered, you know, the rich people live here. Yeah. It hits everybody. There's no escape. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. protect anybody. And, you know, I know some people who have recently moved back and, some of them are trying to build families. And they even mm-hmm. said, I can't even take a walk out. I can't go to the park. I can't even take you a walk. Park, first of all, so you be going to be going to certain places, certain places. Come on, come on, come on. Karina, okay. Like a proper park, not the patch on grass. <laughs> this, la- this Lagos lander. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know what? We have what we have. And we are constant to an extent for our safety. I will leave it at that. We call it a park. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a shrub in other areas. <laughs> but it's just some some greenery. And unfortunately we, we still don't feel safe. You know, here like we get to just take a walk by the harbor. Like I see people in downtown mm-hmm. New York, they'll be they'll be taking a walk by the harbor with their little strollers and their babies running jogging. their dog jogging. And I'm like, Lagos, we're right by the ocean. Must yep. be nice. We have excessive harbor. We have all the space to do that, but we can't do that because of security. Yeah, among yeah. other things. Among so, other things. what? A lot of there are a lot of different things that come up in the book, right? So you have, you know, um, Tai and Kennedy trying to work on their relationship and get back to each other. But then we're also learning a lot about how Cambrina Chi grew up and how she got, like, how she had the twins, right? So she gets married, um, you know, has a miscarriage and then has the twins and then later um, her husband dies and she has to navigate taking care of her kids alone. But one of the things that comes up is her her husband, Banji's friend, Kenneth, who, like, when he meets, meets Cambrina Chi for the first time, like, does a t- double take and then stares at her and is like, I know you from somewhere, I know you from somewhere. And they never tell us where he knows her from. <laughs> And that just like t- until today it bothers me, and I would like to have a word with the author because I want to live. 
that's definitely one of my critiques like why was he there when we don't even know why he was there yes like was he an ubanje did they dismiss <laughs> <life>? like oh <laughs> god maybe maybe they're of the same kin now maybe they're of the same kin at least that would help us understand it a bit better but it really didn't serve it's any just, purpose he just came out of nowhere and it never like materialized into anything that was useful in the storyline but then it now turns out that the same kenneth is the guy that ty goes to when he when she's trying to create her own bee colony or whatever and i i thought like her fascination with bees was so interesting because i definitely i didn't really i didn't really get it i guess i don't know that i'm ever going to want to go to a beehive and look at bees so that was kind of like I no, I feel the same way. I don't think I ever. I love honey, um, so so it's an essential true. ingredient, and and that's and that's the way I stand with that to protect the bees. Um, but I don't see myself trying to play with bees or setting up a beehive and all that good stuff. <laughs> so, in like we talked about um, at the beginning of the episode, right? There, the book is told from different perspectives. So we have Cambrinachi's perspective, and then Kane Day's perspective for most of the book. And then we never really get Taiye's perspective. Thing we just see things happening to her and hear like um, how she kind of reacts to things. And I thought that was a really interesting choice. And kind of that made me start thinking about how in um, Half of the Yellow Sun, I forget the name the names of the twins, but like you, there's the more mysterious twin that the story is never told from her perspective but that but she's the person that i wanted to hear the most from and i feel like for me it was the same with Taya. i was like i just want to hear what like you were thinking like what's going on in your mind uh and i just found that really interesting yeah you make a good point i at first i was actually going to say you know we don't need to hear from everybody like because then it's too much content but when you think about everybody's journey remove the Obanji part, Tai's life was the most interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Like it took a lot of twists and turns. Um, the decision she made, the places that she found herself in. I mean, she she entered so many different cultures and met so many different kinds of people. I do, to your point, wish I had more understanding of what was going through her, her head. I think mm-hmm. that she I imagine her as somebody who's very sarcastic. Um and I would have loved to hear her thoughts on certain yeah. things. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I definitely, definitely agree. But then I think we got enough context from the two other characters where it was like, would have been nice, nice to have, not need to have. So yeah, okay. we have made the book like five hundred pages long, which have been too much. I think the book was perfect in its length. I um, agree. So I really, I enjoyed the end of the book because we see Tai getting the opportunity to p- repair her relationships. So her relationship with Timmy, for instance, to me is her. Um, friend who is queer um, and whose mom is a pastor and who eventually tries to die by suicide but is luckily saved Um, and so she has this period of redemption where she stops talking to him because she was in a relationship and then she's able to rekindle that friendship with him and I think that that was really good for her spirits she's able to repair her relationship with Kennedy Uh, her partner Salome you know, forgives her, may not want her back, but forgives her. Um, And so that for me was just like a very good way to end the book. And then I guess before we go there, now that I think about it, we should probably talk about Salome since I brought it up. Like, 
Taya just has this self-destructive personality. And maybe that comes from, you know, how her relationship with Candy deteriorates, where, you know, Taya is dating Salome, and Salome tells her, you know, I only have one rule. Don't, like, sleep with or date any of my students or people in my circle. And Taya literally goes for the one person, like, I was like, of everybody in Canada... (laughs) Mm. This is the one person <laughs> that he decided to go for, knowing full well. And that, for me, I, I thought like it was a little bit of like self-hate. Because like maybe she just didn't think she was worthy of like of love. And so she decided in that moment that that's what she was going to do. I like I like the way you said that. and I Because it would be so easy to judge and say, you know, she's a terrible person. She wanted to hurt this person. Whereas, really, it was self-hate um, because she just didn't feel like she was deserving. Things are going too good. It's, it feels too good to be true. Let me go off right. the edge and then see if it still lasts. And mm-hmm. then, of course, it's not going to last because you, you crossed the line. Um, you crossed her boundary and you and you hurt her. But I was happy about that. You say you like the ending. How did you feel about the ending with Cabrera so that ending made me sad, right? Because, but I, it, it made me sad, but it made sense. Because I think, so in the end of the book, right, Cambrina, she, we assume from, like, that was my reading of the book, dies by suicide. She, I mean, in the living world, we say she dies by suicide, but to her kin, she's returning to them. And I think it was a fitting ending for her because she has done what she came to the world to do, right? She wanted a family she had the family i think she stayed around because her children were not talking um and she didn't feel like she could leave them alone in the world but now that they have each other it's like okay you have each other so you may not need me anymore um and now i can also have peace because i don't really think she had peace i think she was just like holding on for for her kids um but then i think at the same time it it really made me sad because now her kids are talking again to themselves and then also to her. Um, Candy is having a baby that is the baby that Cambrina she lost um, in a miscarriage earlier, which I thought was pretty interesting. And so I just wish she had been there to see more of the happiness as opposed to ending right before the girls are like happy together and together again. That was the long answer. Yeah, I, I think, honestly, that ending made me sad. I understand that it, it could happen that way, but I think there's a special joy in now I can redo the mistakes I made as a mom the first time by being mm-hmm. a good grandmother and right. showing Kandi how to ne- navigate being a new mom. And mm-hmm. I think my happy ever after side wanted that to be the case yeah. so that they could strengthen their bonds. But, you know... This life gets as it be, so really gets as it be. It was like, yeah, I'll take what I can get, and at least she was able to witness them like mending fences. So I thought, I thought that was like that was fine. Which um, is really important. Yeah, exactly. So one thing that we talked about the first or second time we read the book was the use of like songs throughout the book to like set the scene, you know. And we talked, I mean, you talked about the Ujaju sisters who I had never heard about, but like also songs by King Sonia Ade, Fatai Rolling Dollar, um, Ebenezer Obey, Shade, 
um, IK Dairo. And I just, I, I think it said, it gave you context around the timeline, but then it was also a fun way to like read the book because there's a part where, you know, um, Cambrina Chi's aunt is listening to King Sonia Adia and she's like, oh, at this riff, there's um, Cambrina Chi walks in with Banji, her husband, um, friend at that time. And it's just like, wow, like I can literally hear the song playing, then imagine them walking in. And it's just like, I don't know, just again, writing is amazing when you know what you're doing. It just. Yeah, I agree. And for those of you who have never listened to the Lajadu sisters, um, these are cousins of Balakuti, and they have such amazing music. I think the song reference in this book was Amable, which has been added to my um, playlist on constant rotation. Mm-hmm. It we we have such good music from that time and i don't know if we're so good with music preservation in our culture you know how yeah. so now people are still like elvis presley michael jackson people yeah. only say philacity and that's it but no these sisters were at the top and they have such great music and i highly recommend that you give it a listen for sure i i enjoyed the music it reminded me of my dad he's a music mm. lover these are these are songs. A lot of the songs in the book he would play for us, um, and so it added context and feeling, and it just made it such a a beautiful experience. Yeah, I actually. So after we talked about it, I actually read um, an interview that was with the sisters. So now one of the sisters has actually died, um, mm-hmm. and for me, it it was kind of more of a peek into. Tai and Kendi in the book because I could just see them, you know, finishing each other's sentences, um, harmonizing together, and then just imagining the loss that comes with like. I feel like when you have a twin, you're born with your person, like your person is right there, like, and so just to have that loss, I just like it made it made me sad, but then also it helped me appreciate the book more um, in a way. But yeah, so, Fred, I wanted to add something to that. Yeah, I was going to ask you again, as one of your happy listeners, if you were to come back, you know, after this life and you had a second life, would you consider being a twin? I actually, I think I want to be a twin. I, um, they just seem so mysterious to me. Like, it, I feel like they're in their own world. Like, they just have a bond and a connection that you can't infiltrate. Like, if they like i mean they have a good relationship at least yeah. from what i've seen like they just yeah. seem to you know sense things about each other finish other sentences and i'm like i want that <laughs> i agree it's so beautiful I, I love hanging out with twins they are so connected and like you said they they feel each other's emotions that mm-hmm. is one thing that all the twins i've met in my life and i think i've met like six to eight sets of twins and they all said the same thing like we can't read each other's thoughts but we can definitely feel if the other twin is like really happy or really sad. We just know to call each other like I love your that. person. Yeah. I love that so much. And to be honest, like I kind of think I want to have twins. I just think my podcast doesn't want to have twins. <laughs> like <laughs> it's just a level of cash flow to hmm. be completely like I can pay two school fees <laughs> all the way. Hey guys, school is expensive now. Like, you can't just be having children up and down without knowing how you're going to take care of them. So I'm just like, maybe let's just have one first. Take a chill pill, relax, put my money in my account, find out where I want the second one. 
Yeah, well, if you have those twins, I'll be happy to babysit and play with them because you're the one who has them. Fred, I best believe I wish drop one permanently in your house and be like, I have one responsibility, can't you too? Here you go. She's like, I've carried them and brought them here. Yes, you people deal with it. <laughs> so, okay, that's all that I had on this book that was super interesting and that I really, really enjoyed. Farida, I know you kind of said this in the beginning, but just to wrap up, would you recommend or skip? Oh, I definitely recommend. I definitely recommend. It's 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 a book worth worth reading. And many I look forward to the next time I read. Yes, many, many times. So it's three times so far. I know I'm going to read it again before I'll say at the end of the year for sure. Um, mm-hmm. So I love books and I love this book. Uh, Farida, what other books would you recommend to listeners? Oh, I wasn't prepared for that part. Okay, so I think recently I read Aisha at last. Um, it's a Canadian Muslim woman. Um, she's the main character. Just it's it's a, it's a, it's interesting. It's a different culture, um, but it feels very fresh. Like you know, basically mm-hmm. a Muslim love story. In it's pride. And, it's inspired by Pride and Prejudice which I think is one of the best love stories of all time. So if you mm-hmm. love that enemies to love us type of story and also a little bit of culture and understanding religion in there, then I recommend that. Yeah. So I haven't read that one, but I've read Hannah Khan carries on by the same author. Um, mm-hmm. And I really appreciated one, the, like, I think a lot of times the books that you read about um, Muslim people is very like, explanatory and like talking about the hijab and you just kind of like i mean these people they just live their lives and the hijab is just a matter of fact it's like waking up every day and saying oh you have hair on your head right and so i just appreciated like that was matter of fact in, in hanakan carries on at least and like you actually got to see the people as three-dimensional like characters um so yeah i i mean i haven't read aisha at last but i definitely bought it after the last time we talked so that's on my list to read as well um, all right. Thank you, Freda, for giving me not one, but two, <laughs> two and a half hours of your time <laughs> to record this episode again. Um, and then for also being patient in, with me as I, you know, worked through finding a time that worked for us since November. It will not repeat itself. Oh. I promise. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you for having me on this of podcast. Course. Thanks for creating this space for us book lovers um, to be able to like see what we want to read next. So I think just from talking, there's one of, I don't want to spoil it because I'm sure she's going to do a review on it, but I'm looking forward to when that episode comes out. Yeah. Black Cake. Oh yeah. Yes. I just started reading Black Cake. 26 pages in and like, I'm loving it already. I'm really hoping that this experience, you know, continues like this because i'm on the edge of, once i'm done with this with us Freda, i'm about to go and sit down and actually continue reading this book hopefully i can finish before monday so I can <laughs> um but yeah um i really hope you enjoyed this podcast definitely follow the um, instagram page so that you know what we're doing next but i will talk to you next time bye Frida. bye guys